What's up, everybody? How you guys doing? Good to be with you guys tonight. Who's pumped to be here? Who is excited for camp? I'm very excited. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time, man. If you're not signed up yet, but you want to be, we have a wait list that is open. We've had so many people sign up this year. It's going to be awesome. Um, but if you're like, man, I still really want to go. I don't know if I can. Sign up on our, our wait list online, and uh, we'll see what we can do. We see, we'll see where we can squeeze you in. We'll see if we uh, need to have you sleep on a sleeping bag on the floor. But, like, it's whatever. We can figure it out. Uh, maybe we need a camp, like, ten times bigger next year. I don't know. But... Hey, guys, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are continuing on in our series, Summer of Life. Summer of Life. We have learned about the uh, Holy Spirit in this uh, passage. We've uh, learned about how Jesus promised us that he came to give us what? What did Jesus promise that he was going to bring us? I've said it a couple times Life, that's right. He said he would bring us life and life to the abundance. And he says it would be good so that he would leave and that the Holy Spirit would come and help us to give us life, to give life to our mortal bodies, to uh, give life to us in all seasons and in all circumstances. And that's who God is and that's what he does in and through our lives. We've learned all about how uh, the, the flesh is what we're born with, but it's not where we are going. The flesh is where uh, you and I were found before Jesus, but after Jesus, he's given us his spirit. And man, I hope this series has been impactful. I hope it's been uh, interesting. I hope you've learned something new about the Lord and about what he has done for you and for me. Tonight, we're going to be seeing a laser focus on something. We're going to see a perspective that is completely locked in and focused on the end of all things. We're going to see a perspective that is focused in and on the end of all things. And when Jesus Christ comes to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. And friends, we've been called to something much deeper when we're found as Christians. Amen. We are called to something much deeper than this world, than uh, the people who don't know Jesus yet. We are called to something much deeper in our relationship with, uh, with the Lord, and that is to an everlasting and an ever-present hope and a perspective that doesn't uh, uh, leave that hope, a perspective that doesn't lose focus on the hope that you and I have in Jesus Christ. So, um, fun fact for you guys. I got a dog recently. I don't know. Wow. The biggest applause ever. Okay, cool. Like, uh, I got a dog recently. He's the best. He's very cute. His name's River. He's like four months old. He is a golden retriever puppy, which means he's insane. He's a crazy thing. He is insane, and he is the cutest, and we love him very, very much. He's a super cool guy. And uh, like you do with dogs, you kind of like buy him a crate. You buy him like blankets. You buy him like all these things because they like pee on their fancy mats. So you just buy him blankets to sleep on first. You know, it's a little hack I learned after the fact, but it's whatever. Um, so you, uh, you know, you buy him all these things, and then you buy him toys. You buy him like squeaky toys, which are the most annoying things in the world. You buy him like regular toys, things like that. And so Jocelyn and I have accumulated in our home a bunch of toys for River. And we want to entertain him. We want to keep him occupied. We want to keep him active because this guy will not sit still. He's a golden retriever puppy. He's got the most energy out of anything in the entire world, right? And I buy him these toys, and it's the funniest thing. I'll like go to play with him. I'll like unwrap the package. And I'll like show him the toy. I'm like, River, check it out. And he'll just run and go like chew on the package. 
And I'm like, this is really weird. And I like have a squeaky toy. And I'm like, hey, River, come here. And like, he runs over to me and I'm like showing him the toy and everything. I'm like, check this out. And he's like, looking at me. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just bites my hand instead. And I'm like, ah, why? Why would you do this to me, right? And I'm just like, dude, focus on this thing, man. Focus on this thing that I got you. And he's like, okay, okay. And I throw it and then he, he like turns to go get it. And then he runs and he bites my hand again. And I'm like, why? Stop. Like, I just want you to focus on the things that I have for you, the things that I bought for you, the things that I have for you, right? I, and it's so funny. And it happens with like kids, you know, you buy them a toy and they play with the box. It's just like that type of thing. Like, you just, I'm telling him like as his owner and like he doesn't understand anything. I'm like, dude, I just want you to focus on these things. I know it's good for you. I know it's not good for you. Why won't you just focus on these things? And Christians, like we in this room, are more similar to that than we'd like to admit. The Lord has good things for us. The Lord has shown us good things. The Lord has given us a hope that doesn't fade, the, a hope that doesn't perish. But sometimes we focus on the wrong things. And oftentimes I focus on the wrong things. As a Christian, sometimes I'm tempted to uh, get bogged down into the despair of this world. As a believer, it's sometimes easy to get distracted it's easy to focus on the things that don't matter. It's easy to focus and dwell on the things of this life that are difficult. When the whole time I often wonder if God is just saying, focus on the things that I have for you. Focus on the things that I've given you. Focus on the things that are in store for you. And tonight we're going to see a laser focus in on God's kingdom and on the future glory that is to come to every single person in this room who knows Jesus Christ. We're going to see Paul profess that truth that we just sang about, that God reigns above everything. He reigns above all the circumstances of this life. He reigns above every difficult situation that you're uh, feeling or experiencing right now. He reigns above all those things, and he has invited you and me into an everlasting hope that doesn't fade, that doesn't perish, that doesn't spoil. Friends, we have an opportunity to focus on this. I think it's really sad because I think sometimes Christians can be overwhelmed with hopelessness. Like a Christian without hope is kind of an oxymoron. Like it's kind of like the whole like thing. We hope in and we put our faith in Jesus and we hope and we look forward to the day that he makes all things new. But a hopeless Christian, that's a really tough place to be. It's kind of like an oxymoron. It's like it's a perfectly round circle. Um, like what does that even mean? What is a completely hopeless Christian look like? I believe that sometimes we can get bogged down in the things of this world. We can focus on perspective on things that don't matter, things that would distract us, things that would be difficult, yes, but in comparison to the light of the eternal glory, to the, uh, uh, the, to the inheritance that God has promised us, to the things that God has for us, it doesn't compare. And so friends, we're going to see tonight a call back to hope, a call to hold on to the hope that Jesus has given you to focus in on that hope that Jesus has for you, to rejoice, to like actively sing, to actively be uh, thankful in that joy that Jesus has given you, and to focus in on that hope. Because Christians are called to focus in on our hope in Jesus throughout our present struggles. That's our main idea tonight. We're called to focus in on our hope in Jesus throughout our present struggles. There'll be things that distract you. There'll be things that look more alarming or more uh, appealing or more concerning. But friends, we have a hope that doesn't fade. We have a hope that will never leave us. And we need to be focused in on that. And through our focus on that, 
through our dwelling on scripture, through our dwelling on, uh, you know, what Christ has done for us, we will experience blessings of falling after the Lord closer to removing ourselves from the things of this world that we can get distracted by and watching us grow more like Christ every day. So if you don't believe me, turn in your Bibles right now to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, we're going to dive into verse 18. God, I love you. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to preach this message tonight. God, I pray that uh, you would be with us tonight, that you would be, um, uh, God, would you allow us to focus in on these truths? Would you allow us to um, remember that your word is living and active? God, if we came into this room with distractions, if we came into this room with any other goal in mind, if we came into this room with um, a million burdens on our hearts right now, help us, Lord through your Holy Spirit, to focus in on these words that you have for us. We love you, Lord. It's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Wow. One of those verses off the, just, just verse 18 in and of itself. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. I need you guys to get that verse down. If you don't have that verse memorized, if you don't have that verse written down somewhere, I would tell you right now, write it down. Meditate on this truth. Keep this perspective in mind. So we hear this, for I consider these present sufferings. And we have to remember the context of all of Romans chapter 8. So last week, we were in the gym, super fun, super cool. Learned a bunch of stuff about how we are adopted into God's family. How you and I are adopted into God's family. We are adopted into his uh, household. We weren't born there. We weren't uh, uh, originally able to receive all the inheritance that he has for us. But what did we learn last week? That if we're children of the Lord's, right? He adopted us in. And if we're children, verse 17 says, then we're heirs with Christ, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then verse 17, just the verse right before 18, it says this, uh, when we're fellow heirs with him, uh, we're, prov- uh, yeah, God and fellow heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 17 shows us this really cool reality that perfectly bridges these two sections together. That Jesus Christ became nothing for you and for me. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He took on the weight of sin and death. He took on the weight of the sins of the world. So he became the literal definition of nothing. So now what? He is the most glorified above everything. And that's how it is in God's kingdom. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this uh, uh, when we talked about ethos night, about how we are constantly to be uh, humbling ourselves, to be putting ourselves lower. That's what Jesus did, and now he is the most glorified. And Paul points to this illusion. He points to the reality that we, as followers of Christ, we act like Christ. We follow in Christ's footsteps, and that means that in certain seasons, in certain moments, even when we are following after the Lord, we are going to experience trials, just like Jesus, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What does that word mean, glorified? What does that word mean? It's kind of like one of those Christian words that we say all the time, glorified, right? Glory often in the Old Testament, it's a reference to the evidence of God, the presence of God, the glory of God is shown throughout the world, right? 
We know that God is most glorified, meaning he is separate. He is above everything. He is above uh, every uh, good thing on earth. He is better than that. He is glorified and he reigns over everything that he sees. And it says here in verse 17 that we may also be glorified with Jesus. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to you and I. So Paul is painting a picture for us here. He's painting a picture of glory. The amazing presence of God, the reign that God has over all the universe, the reality that he's going to stay on that throne forever. And he's reminding you and me and the listeners of, and to the listeners in Rome at the time, he's reminding them that they have a part of this glory. Not because of anything they did, not because they earned it, but because Jesus found them and he says, now you get to share in this glory eventually. And Paul's painting this amazing picture, this can it be so good, is it too good to be true type, type picture. And he says this, he says, we will share in his glory, but for a time we're going to suffer. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. That's the hope that we have as Christians. If you know Jesus, you have an inheritance in heaven one day that will never spoil, perish, or fade. So salvation is cool. Salvation is a process. I know what you're thinking. You're like, I thought salvation was like a thing that happens and then it's like one and done. That's true. So if we break down this, you know, in big theological wor words, if we break down the idea of salvation, right, we have an initial moment of justification where you and I recognize our need for uh, a savior and Jesus fills us with the Holy Spirit. So that's our justification. Now you and I live in this great in-between where we are being sanctified, right, being made more and more like Jesus Christ in this life for however long we have until we get to see Jesus face to face. And that is when the sufferings of this life, the problems we have, the sin we struggle with is no longer, and you and I are glorified with him. We're made to look like Jesus. We get to uh, see Jesus face to face. That's the glory that we have. That's the thing that Christians are called into. And Paul is painting a picture. He's saying, set your perspective, put your perspective in the right spot. Set your mind on the right things. We have the current sufferings of this world, the problems that you and I face on a, a daily basis, and then we have eternity way over here. So picture this massive canvas. It's all about glory. It's all about the amazing promise that you and I have. And he says, look at this small part of the canvas. This small part of the picture is suffering. A small part of this picture is sadness. A small part of this picture is death. But look at what the Lord has done. And he's saying, set your perspective. The things that I struggle with now, the suffering that I have now, it isn't even going to compare when I see Jesus face to face. Because our current sufferings shrink in comparison to our future hope. Our current suffering shrinks in comparison to our future hope. That's what we need to be focused on. Man, Christians aren't called to despair. Christians aren't called to hopelessness. Christians just don't say, None, nothing matters. This doesn't matter. I'm just going to be here forever, right? We're not called to that. We are called to hope. We are called to live into, in the reality, in the light of this reality that one day you and I get to be glorified with Jesus. And that changes our perspective on our current problems. 
that changes you and I's perspective on our current problems. Our current suffering shrinks in comparison to our future hope. I think of this idea, you know, the plants you uh, water, the plants that you water are going to grow. Is this news to anyone? And the plants that you don't water won't grow. Is this news for anyone? Yeah, I know. What? Really? This is, we're learning new things today. This is pretty incredible, right? Okay, so I want you to picture this. It is, everything is dead right now in Washington, pretty much, right? I feel like it's so dry, right? I walk outside and like the floor's crunching, like the ground's crunching underneath me. I'm like, is this grass? Like the grass is all dead. This is insane, right? And uh, I don't have a hose anywhere near my grass right now. It's a long story. It doesn't matter. Not important. So it's all dead. Um, And so I have a friend, I think Olivia, actually. I was over at Olivia's house the other night. And again, super dry out right now, but Olivia has a garden that she is attending, and it's a pretty cool garden, actually. Like, plenty of flowers, looking good. And I've noticed this thing about Olivia's garden. It was growing, this section of the garden was growing, and the grass around it was also growing. But then all the other grass was dead, right? And you're like, duh, that's how grass works, right? And that is, friends, that is what the reality is. When we water certain plants, right, they will grow. And I've heard this expression before, you have to, you know, water uh, the, the areas, you have to water the soil that uh, you want to grow. And friends, you and I are faced with a choice every single day. God has blessed you and I with uh, brains. God has blessed you and I with uh, the decision to set our mind on things. God has given you and I an attitude. And every single day, we get to focus our gaze and our perspective on the things of this world and the problems that we have, the sufferings you and I have, or we get to set our perspective and our gaze on what? The glory that is to be revealed. So I want us to think about that. When we focus, right? When we uh, channel our, our prayers and our thoughts and our meditations on the glory that God has for you, on the reality of your future with him in heaven, when we channel those things, we can begin to see the fruit of that thinking, of that uh, meditation, right? And we watch the sufferings, we watch the perspective on our suffering shrink and vice versa. When we focus so much on our problems, when we focus so much and we begin to tend to that garden, we begin to water those thoughts, we begin to see the seeds of discontentment, the fruit of comparison, we get to see all those things. So where's your thought right now? Where are you dwelling? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing He's painting this picture. He's painting this amazing canvas. He's setting up these scales and he's saying the weight of eternity or our current struggles, like those two things aren't to be compared. Now that isn't to say that God doesn't care about what you're going through right now. That isn't to say when your friends are just betraying you, It doesn't mean to say that when a loved one is sick. It doesn't mean to say when you're experiencing some sort of emotional pain that God doesn't care about those things and to just get over it and to just forget about it. That's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying, and Paul is reminding, that the reality is at the end of all things, we get an inheritance that never fades. We have a hope that we put our, we have a hope that we can uh, cling on to. And the things of this world are temporary. They will last for a little bit. They will uh, be here for a moment. But the Lord, in his goodness, will bring us through those things. And Paul is saying, set your perspective. Set your sight on the things that don't change. Our current sufferings shrink in comparison to the future glory that you and I have in Jesus Christ. That's absolutely what happens. 
Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So what does that mean? The revealing of the sons of God, sons or daughters, basically what we've been talking about this whole time. Remember, salvation is this process. We're in the sanctification process right now. We get to wait for the day that we see Jesus. And in that moment, right, that moment we get to see Jesus face to face, we are fully revealed as sons and daughters of God. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And it says that creation waits eager, with eager longing for that moment. Man, you are eagerly awaiting something that you're thinking about constantly. I don't think it's possible to be like eagerly waiting for something and then be like, oh yeah, that thing. Right? No, you're always constantly thinking about it. If you're like pumped for summer break, like at the end of the spring semester, you cannot stop thinking about summer. You are eagerly expecting that you're focusing on it. You're thinking about it. You're dwelling on those things constantly. And Paul is saying, hey, remember that moment. You need to eagerly expect that moment. You need to eagerly be longing for that moment that you and I get to experience one day. Our current suffering shrink in comparison with our future glory. That truth is going to hold you through difficult times. That truth is going to hold you through seasons that feel really difficult. That truth is going to hold you through uh, times where you feel like you can't go another day. We have to set our perspective on the things of the end. And it's a good story. We serve a good God. He has a plan and he has a purpose for you and for me. So as we eagerly await, we long for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20 says this, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so you read that passage and you're like, what the heck is going on? Right? There's references to creation. There's something about a baby being born in there. What are, wait, what are we talking about here, Paul? What's he going off on here, right? We eagerly expect. So Paul is painting again this picture. The day we get to see Jesus face to face. The moment we get to experience that. And he is highlighting and he is showing us that we still have current struggles. And not only we have current struggles, everything around us has current struggles. He uses this character. He characterizes everything by calling it the creation. Verse 24, the creation was subjected to futility or frustration or uh, disappointment. So Paul is now uh, referencing back to Genesis chapter 1 through 3. He's referencing Genesis 1 through 3. He's going to the beginning of all things, and he is saying creation originally was made. God uh, blessed it. God said it was good. It was awesome. And then mankind chose to fail, and we see the consequences of sin and death, what, enter into the world. And Paul is doing this in kind of a poetic kind of language here. He's saying the creation was subjected to this problem, this frustration through sin. It was condemned because of this sin. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God, of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Man, the world is currently broken, but it awaits to be redeemed. That's what verses 20 through 22 show us. The world that you and I live in, this is no spoiler, is broken, 
but it eagerly awaits to be redeemed. See, when sin entered the world, that wasn't like the end of the story. God made a way. God is still making a way. And we're in the middle of that story before we get to see God make all things new once again. And you and I live in a world that is broken. You and I live in a world that is broken, but it eagerly awaits to be redeemed. Verses uh, 19 through 20 are super, super, super interesting. It's a reference here to our redemption, right? Of course, as children of God, and, and that moment that we get to be fully realized, we get to receive that inheritance. Not only are we going to be made like Christ, God is also going to recreate, to rebuild and recreate the world in God's image, to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. So uh, Paul uses this character, the creation, to show that God is on a mission to redeem all things, to reconcile all things to himself. The world is currently broken, but it awaits to be redeemed. Man, God isn't a God who just left things as they were. God isn't a God who said, all right, figure it out. God isn't a God who said, well, they messed that one up. This shows clearly through this, these couple of verses the heart of God to redeem and rescue, not just individually like us as people, but also to create and recreate a new world. To what? Glorify himself over all things, but to invite us in to this reality and to show us this. So what is our response then? What do we do? What do we do now that this reality is true? Man, when you see that news headline, when you see that, news that breaks, when you see that thing that happens that just makes your skin crawl, that just makes your blood boil, what is your reaction? Is your reaction, man, we need to fix this. Like, this is so bad, we need to fix every single thing, and if we don't fix it, I'm going to freak out. Or is your response, man, this doesn't really matter at all. It can all just, let's just like light a firecracker off in the woods and burn down the whole West Coast. Like, nothing matters at the end of the day, right? What's your thoughts? What's your perspective? Man, because Christians don't live without hope, but we also know that this world isn't as it should be, and we recognize and we are excited for the fact that God is going to redeem all things. Our, pan our, our reaction when these things happen, they shouldn't be panic. It shouldn't be hopelessness. Our panic shouldn't be, you know, hostility. Our, 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 our response, it shouldn't be uh, nothing matters, Right? But we are eagerly expecting for the day, not for us to make all things right, but for God to make all things right. That's what verse 22 is referencing. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Many scholars think that this is a reference to actually physically the world having like natural disasters tornadoes, hurricanes, droughts, things. Again, he is referencing Genesis 1 through 3. He's showing that the ground oftentimes won't produce fruit. The, 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 the problems of this world will manifest itself in hurricanes and in tornadoes, all these crazy things. And he is referencing childbirth, another consequence of sin, right here, all in these few verses. He packs it in together to say, all these things are really bad right now. All these things are really difficult, but something beautiful is coming. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The things you see, the hurricanes, the natural disasters that might be appeared, these are evidences, what, of pain, of suffering, but something beautiful 
is coming. I'm not an expert on childbirth. Shocker. No surprise there. I, no one's going to be surprised by that. And I feel pretty unqualified to talk about it, but it's here in Scripture. Um, I'm imagining that going through this process is uncomfortable. I can't quite confirm or deny myself, again, but I can't imagine it's a good feeling, right? There's uncomfort. There's this like certain level of feeling sick. There's this certain level of going through these natural pains that come with it. And then there's the process of labor, which is really painful. Again, I'm imagining. But what makes it worth it in the end is that child. And to all the moms in the room, I know you would say that, yeah, to have my son or daughter, it was painful, but it was worth it. And Paul is using this metaphor here, this, this, this labor pains, these sort of contractions, the pains that are, we are seeing in the world and that we experience, we hear about. It is the evidence of the Lord still working and something more beautiful to come. And that's the day that he makes all things new. And it gets more and more painful up until the moment, up until the day that Christ comes, up until the day that we get to see heaven and earth made new. And so that changes you and I's perspective on how we live. The world is currently broken, but it awaits to be redeemed. We have hope. We're not hopeless. When you see that news headline, when you see that thing happen, we don't wait in despair. We understand that the Lord is working. We understand that things aren't as they should be, but we hope eagerly in that. Something beautiful is coming. Something beautiful is coming. Continuing on, look at this in verse 22. Okay, so we see this. We see Paul setting up this perspective. We have to make sure we're focusing on the future glory to be revealed. We see things as they are, not as they should be, but as they are. And we recognize that the Lord is coming back to redeem all these things. And there's pain and there's suffering. In verse 23, it says this, and not only the creation. So creation's been groaning, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Man, Christians experience pain, but they respond in hope. Christians experience pain, but they respond in hope. You and I are going to experience pain in this life, but the way that we respond to pain is going to show others who we follow and the hope that we have. We're going to experience pain, but we're going to react differently than the people who don't know Jesus. We're going to experience pain, but we're going to say different things than the people who are not following Jesus. We're going to experience pain, but we are going to compose ourselves and speak and to dwell and to act differently than those who don't know Jesus. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. I don't know if I've ever said that when I'm in pain. I'm like, I just feel like I'm groaning inwardly. It's not like quite, I would say, but I can say, man, life is like terrible right now. Life is hard right now. Life doesn't feel worth it right now. Maybe you've said something like that. Maybe you've been groaning inwardly somehow like that. Man, Christians, we see the wildfires happening. We see the pain happening. We see difficult seasons in our life happening, but we react differently 
than those who don't know Jesus. Christians experience pain, but respond in hope. Man, I don't know if there's anything more damaging than somebody telling you, and maybe someone has told you this, that you're less of a Christian for experiencing pain. I hope no one's ever told you that. I don't know if there's anything more damaging than someone saying, man, uh, you know, if you're experiencing this, if you're in pain, like you're just kind of like less of a Christian. Or like, if you're really, really down about this thing, like, dude, just have like a bit more faith. Like what, what the heck, man? Dude, if you're like experiencing that anxiety, like, dude, you must not trust God enough. Or if you're experiencing that mental health crisis, it must be a problem of faith. Look at this here, verse 24. Verse 23 and verse 24, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So those of us who have the Holy Spirit, aka Christians, you and I, believers in this room, the first fruits of the spirit, aka God has given you himself. God has deposited something into your life to help you, to guide you, and to direct you in this life. The first fruit of the eternal, what, uh, what, glory? The eternal inheritance, the eternal blessings. The first fruits of that is God himself in the Holy Spirit. And he's saying with that, we still groan inwardly. I don't know if, I don't know if it could be more clear than that. Friend, if you've been in this room, if you've been hurt, if someone has told you something like that, if someone has said, man, just have more faith. Dude, you just, this just is a you problem. You just need to let go and let God, right? If someone has said something damaging to you like that, I'm really sorry. But we know that the Bible doesn't shy away from your pain. The Bible doesn't shy away from your suffering. The Bible doesn't say that if you really are bogged down certain days, if you're really feeling it, like if it really sucks for you some days, like just have more faith. No, what is Paul doing? He's telling us to set our perspective on the things that are to come, but he doesn't shy away from the reality that things are hard right now. And I would never tell you that. And Christians should never tell each other that, right? We can't get uh, hopelessness. We can't get caught in the complete, like, uh, like just the, the depths of the pit. Again, we need, to redeem, we need to recognize that God has a future for us, but we also need to recognize that things can be hard right now as well. Christians experience pain, but we respond in hope. As we groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We respond in hope and we respond with patience. Man, hope is like the staple of a Christian. Hope is just so inherently connected with who we are in Jesus Christ. A Christian without hope is an oxymoron. A Christian without hope doesn't probably quite understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has promised to do. So Christian, in this room, this passage shows us we need to set our perspective. We need to uh, be focused on the hope that Jesus has throughout our, uh, we have to focus on the hope that we have in Jesus throughout our present struggles first. And we need to recognize that even in this pain, we can respond with hope. And also we need to understand that Christ at the end of all things 
is going to redeem us. He's going to bring us into a deeper relationship with him. He's going to show us the realities of our eternal inheritance. And you and I get to dwell on that hope now. We get to experience that hope now. Man, in a world full of pain, in a world full of disappointment, in a world full of things that would be uh, disturbing or hurtful, we have something so much deeper than the world has. And that's the promise of an eternity in heaven. So where are you right now? Where are you right now in your struggles, in your day-to-day life? I want you to know, I want you to know that this passage, the things uh, that we see here, the verses that we see here, the things that we see in this passage, they don't shy away from our pain, right? It doesn't shy away from what you're going through, but it's calling us to something so much deeper. We have a hope. We have a, we have a God who has a plan. We have a God who has guaranteed our salvation through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit himself is guiding us, is directing us. Man, this passage is incredible. This whole section points to the reality, what, of a very broken world, but a God who has come to reconcile and to redeem all things to himself. He is a God who is presently able to help right now, and he is a God who has helped us in the past. He is a God who has promised us the eternal hope for our future. So where are you right now? Are you stuck right now focusing on the things like right in front of your face? Like if you could see the whole picture in front of you, if you could see in the distance the future glory you have, are you just holding up your problems right here, right in front of your face that you're saying, man, my life is just like this season. My life right now is just my, my friends have left me. My, friend, my life right now is just, uh, I can only see the pain that I'm going through, the loss of that friendship, the loss of that loved one. Or are you focusing on the eternal reality that is to come. The reality that we wait for as Christians and the universe, the world itself groans for, waits for with expectation. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us. Man, we, we serve a God who doesn't shy away from your struggles. We know that God cares about your struggles. We know that God cares about you. We know that we can tell one another, we can encourage one another in seasons and in circumstances that are really difficult. We can, we can encourage one another that we have a future in Christ. And we also don't need to like, act like we can completely shy away from our current realities. Verse 23 shows us we wait, even with the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us, we have things that are hard and that's okay. So friend, if you're in this room and if you're in a season of hopelessness right now, I would say take hope. I would challenge you to take hope. And friend, if you're in a season right now where um, that you are just unwilling and unable to accept the reality of, of, of the consequences of sin, if you're in this season right now where you cannot focus in on the things that God has for you in the future, I would encourage you to read through this passage. Read through these promises. Read through the promises that God has for you in Scripture and know that you and I can wait with eager expectation for the day that Christ has revealed for us. For the comparison, it just is not a comparison right now 
for I cannot compare the future glory that we have to be revealed to us with the thing that I'm struggling with right now. Verse 26 says this, and this is where we're gonna talk about next week. Likewise, after all this, after all this talk about suffering, after all the talk about the groanings of the world, of the groanings that we have inwardly, as Paul has painted the picture, as Paul has said, we need to focus on the end, living with the end in mind, he says this, likewise, even with all this, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Even when things are hard, even when things are difficult, even when I can't see the end of all things. The Spirit helps you and me in our weakness. The Spirit helps us have that perspective. The Spirit helps us have that perspective that at the end of all things, we get to see Jesus. The Spirit himself illuminates that reality for you and for me. He helps us in our weakness. We're going to see next week that God has offered us uh, the reality of prayer, the ability to connect with him, the ability to dwell with him. For when we can't see past today, when we can't see past our struggles, the spirit helps us in our weakness. So what are you focusing on today? Is it your problems? Is it your struggles? Or are you focusing on the eternal hope in Jesus? Man, because we can see clear as day, Sometimes the problem's right in front of us. But God has offered us his word. God has offered us this community. God has offered us his church. God has offered us so many things to help us place our perspective and place our thoughts and to dwell and to meditate on what? That future reality. These light and momentary trials. We sing that song all the time. We're gonna sing it again. That's where you and I get to be. Christians experience pain, we respond in hope. We focus on the hope and we have that hope carry us through the next day. Nothing that we've done, but everything that Christ has done for us. That's where true life is. Because God wants us to live a life full of hope. God doesn't want you to live a life full of despair. God doesn't want you to live life in a, a cloud, in a haze, in this repetitive voice in your head saying nothing's gonna get better. God has promised us hope and we get to dwell on that reality. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful that in our current struggles, You've provided us for many things. You've provided us yourself, of course, your Holy Spirit. God, you've provided for us your community, this church. God, you've provided for us friends who are gonna pray with us. God, I pray that if we are bogged down right now, if we are in the middle of the worst thing, God, I pray that you would help us gaze towards the end. You would help us, you would remind us of the eternity that we have in you. God, I pray that we would take this hope seriously, that we wouldn't be uh, uh, just passive about this hope. Would we be challenged? Would we be excited about this hope? God, thank you that you are coming to redeem all things. Thank you that these verses show us that you have a plan for the world that is experiencing the pains, the discomfort, the confusion. Even in the middle of that, God, we know that you're working. God, help us to respond differently than people who don't know you. 
Help us to show the world that we have a living hope in you. God, I pray for the person right now who, who needs encouragement. God, would you, would you encourage them through your Holy Spirit? God, would you help us in our weakness? Would you remind us in this room that we groan, we experience pain. We have days where we say life is hard, but we know that you're not far away. Not far away right now in our lives and you're not far away from the moment that we get to see you face to face. Help us to believe that. Help us to sing in faith. Help us to respond in faith. Help us to live faith-filled, hope-saturated lives, God. We love you. We love you. We're thankful for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.